as we go, I just felt like the Lord kind of, I guess a couple days ago, has kind of changed the direction and said, speak on discipleship this morning. It, it's such an intricate part, a vital part of who we are as a church. Matter of fact, it's somewhat of a, it's somewhat of a missing art. It's a missing art. It's a little bit different than training up your child in the way they should go. It's a little bit different. That has its place. It has its home value there. And that, that, is, that is tremendous. It's huge. It's very important. And we somewhat have lost that art in the church also. It's an art, and art is something to develop. It's something to, to express, something to bring to fruition, something to bring uh, a color to, an understanding to, and, and get definement to, to where you can recognize and see what it is. Matter of fact, some years ago, maybe you've heard me say this story before, that I was sitting in the back row of the place where I got first discipled. I'd come off of drugs and alcohol. There's like a teen challenge kind of program. And I, I was uh, visiting and going back there and, and connecting with those people. And it was a Friday night chapel service. I'd been out maybe, I'd graduated maybe a couple years, and I'm sitting in the back row. And somebody was preaching. What they were preaching was true. It was right on, and they're talking about church members, followers, believers, uh, uh, parishioners, all these descriptions of maybe you and I would fall into right now. Hopefully, we would, but they're talking about people who attend church, people who are part of the, uh, of the church, and, and I felt this elbow hit me right here in the ribside, just kind of bumping the ribside. The closest person to me was seven seats over, but I had a natural occurrence. I felt this, this, this nudge in my rib, and I, I looked, and I realized there's no way that, that Miss Judy could have reached over there and poked me. And then I realized this must be my invisible friend. Does anybody have an invisible friend? Come on, don't lose your childlike faith, right? Your invisible friend is the Holy Spirit, right? We don't see him. We see the evidence of him, but we don't see him. He stays hidden, and that's the way we ought to become more spiritual, that people don't see us as much as they see the evidence of Jesus in us. And the Holy Spirit nudged me, and he said, whatever happened to disciples? That's what we had. He wasn't, he wasn't in any way saying what he was preaching is not right. He was talking, and he was, in, he was nudging in me what I should be called to do. And in that moment, he put his heart, he put his mind, he put his spirit, because he is spirit, and whatever he touches with his spirit, he put his spirit in me, that you are called to help disciple people. That is part of your mandate and part of your calling. And so I realized some years later that I was, I was uh, uh, working with a, a youth ministry and traveling uh, extensively. As a matter of fact, it was there that I, I, I came across, because of a connection to that ministry, I met one of my closest, of my closest friends, most dearest friends, most uh, confidants that I have in my life, Pastor Jay Hazlip. And I just want to welcome Pastor Christy Hazlip. She's here with us this morning. Uh, their daughter, Paris, is coming with us. Jay, Christy and Jay pastor the sanctuary out in Orange County, California, just in a great, phenomenal, amazing church. Matter of fact, it's a real church for real people. And uh, Pastor Jay sits on our board of directors here. He's one of our overseers, so it's good, so good to have you here with us this morning, uh, Christy. But in that traveling there, I started dealing with youth pastors. As a matter of fact, I would minister to, to over uh, tens, 20-some thousand uh, youth ministers a year and these events, and I would travel to these cities, and I and I started to realize something. It seems like all of them were there so that they could get somewhere else. They're being a youth pastor because that's what you have to do because before you become a pastor or before you get your traveling evangelist. Or a lot of them are there because they wanted to be like the guy who was holding the conventions and holding the conferences. And I started to realize there really wasn't a strong, I didn't hear many of them talk about their students. 
None of them are talking about that, that next one or that, that one that they're spending time with and, and they just didn't have that relationship. And, and I realized something. And I started seeing scripturally with this nudge in my side and I started looking and nudging myself through the scriptures and I started to realize something. Elisha had Elijah. Joshua had Moses. The disciples had Jesus. Timothy had Paul. But this generation almost had none at all. What a discipler. Somebody who was equipping him and bringing it up and being able to pass over the mantle, the torch, the leadership. Friends, you just literally laid eyes on, and you're next week going to lay eyes on more. We have 30-some next-generation leaders coming here from all over the country that we're going to help fulfill what God has already called them to. We're not calling them. God has already called them. We're just giving them an atmosphere, a safe place that they don't have to go on the backside of the desert. They don't have to go off somewhere else to try to find more closer intimate relationship with God. This is just a moment. This is part of who we are. Now we're a body here. We're just a part of a body of a bigger church also. There's other churches. There's other people that are coming here. Somebody somewhere got it in their mind that you go to J3 because there's something ain't right with you. That's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. Somebody else got it in their mind. I don't know who these other people are, but I've gone through this. Is that, oh, we've raised them enough. Listen to me. My mama and daddy couldn't raise me enough for where God wants to take me to. You know what I'm talking about? There's more to be done, and we're going to see that in Scripture. That's a bad concept in perception. That's like thinking somebody who's in the altar, there's got to be something wrong with them. I'll tell you who's something wrong with is the one who's thinking something's wrong with the one who's in the altar that's meeting with God. That's where something's wrong. Gretchen and I, as many of you know, have many children. I don't even know what the count is anymore. Uh, and, and because we have many children, it leads to some very interesting conversations with people who know us and people who don't know us. It just kind of goes places. I won't, even, I won't even bore you nor entertain you with what some of those conversations come up to be. You can only imagine. But I have found this quite often in these conversations, that they'll end up somewhere, arrive to a point somewhere in the conversation where people will say to me how many children they have, and then they will say to me, almost without fail, I wish I would have had more. But that's not where I'm going. Some of y'all got really nervous, some got really excited. Where I'm going is this, without fail, none of them have ever said to me, I wish I had less. So what's the concept here? The concept is, let's want more. More of what? More of Jesus? More of what? More of the kingdom of God? More of what? Of revelation? Whatever it may be. That ought to be the end result of each one of our lives because he's going to say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? We want to have more of what God has for us. Matter of fact, we... um, Coming to a place with the discipleship school, the same kind of thing, whether I'm on an airplane, whether I'm in a restaurant, at a hotel, or at another church somewhere, and people come in contact with, or they start to rub shoulders with, whether it's one of the the first ones, or whether it's the present ones here, or they travel to a church with me, and people get around J38, or get around the school of ministry, and, and they just get intrigued. They're like, what is going on here? What's going on here? And sometimes they'll even ask me, which one's yours? And sometimes I say, none of them are. None of them are. 
uh, there. It's not just a family thing. It's a, it's a kingdom thing. And they will, say, they will say something like this to me. They'll say, man, I sure do wish there was something like that when I was younger. Well, let me just ask you this question. You don't have to show your hand. Some of you sitting in here have said that to me before. I know I sure do wish I had a one-week summer camp, but I sure do wish I could have had nine months before I had to do 12 months. I didn't get to do OMA. I had to do OMA. There's a big difference. And, and then people see that, and they see the value in it, the value in it. And I want us to see the value in discipleship in our church. Some people just want more. Today, I want to draw out from Scripture. I want to draw out the importance of discipleship in the life of a believer. Matter of fact, the greatest part of the end result of my message this morning, and thank God we already had a nice altar call, is that I would be able to inspire the desire. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. He didn't say if anyone believes. There's a lot of people who believe who don't follow. No, no, you need to hear me. There's a lot of people who believe who don't follow. What's missing is the desire. There's got to be this, this burn inside, this hunger inside, this interest inside, this, this yearning inside. And I hope that this morning you walk away with a desire for more of Jesus. For desire, not just for more of Jesus, because the only way you can get more of Jesus, it was already stated in our worship, if we will draw near to him, he will draw near to us. The prodigal starts coming home, the father starts reaching him. Listen to me, he's already come to you once, he's come and did all he really needs to do, and that's called the cross, and he made a sacrifice, an atonement for each and every one of us. There's really nothing else he needs to do, everything else is what we get to do with him. Everything else is what based upon the desire and the passion. You look at these people and say, why do they worship like that? Because they've tasted and seen, because they've heard and experienced, because they've touched and they felt. They've had an encounter with God. I trust, listen to me, we are not limited to J38 nor the school of ministry to disciple you. We continue to lay things out. We are here. I'm here for anybody who will walk in that office and say, pastor, I just want more. Find somebody somewhere, somehow, some way, and we'll make sure that gets done. Someone called me on the phone just recently, and they said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. It's another pastor. So I need to talk to you. There's something I need that I don't know how to get, but I saw that you had it. I said, what is it? When I heard the hunger, I heard the determination, and even when I said, what are you willing to spend? Their number is a lot higher than I thought. I thought you could have already bought it. And the Lord said, no, this is a witness. This is a spiritual thing. They don't want just any. They want something that has something in it. They saw what we have, and they wanted more. When I saw that they were interested, their desire, they made the phone call, they acknowledged it, and they're willing to pay it, Jesus said, count the cost of discipleship. I speak to every incoming student, whether you've been here 18 years or whether you've been here 18 days or 18 minutes, I'm here to tell you, you have counted the cost. He is going to reward you according to the cost of which you're willing to pay. 
It is a cause in discipleship, and we will see this. So my, my greatest desire this morning is to inspire the desire inside of you and me to get more. What does it take to become a disciple? I'm going to ask the questions that maybe you're already asking. I'm going to ask the questions that maybe you don't know how to ask. I might be teaching a little bit. I may dabble a little bit in some preaching on the side here or there. But nevertheless, it's the Word of God. Amen? Get your Bible in your hand. You thought I forgot, didn't you? I didn't until now. Get your Bible in your hand. Say this with me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I'm going to be who it says I can be. It was written for me, for my correction, for my direction, for my soon coming resurrection. Oh, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. What does it take to become a disciple? And Jesus, and Jesus, by this walking by the sea, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Then immediately left their nets and followed him. Notice it said they were fishermen. Matthew is reading from a, is writing from a past tense experience. He's kind of declaring the testimony of what happened in their life. I'm here to tell you that you can have a past also. I'm here to tell you, listen to me, you can start building a good past that's leading into a great future. Are you with me? It's not talking about those boys were out there smoking pot behind the boat and those boys were out there drinking beers and forgot to wake up to go to work. No, it just said they left something. They got up and they went because Jesus called them. They have a good testimony. Some years ago, I was preaching in southern Florida, Naples, Florida, and preaching to a youth group. And it was one of the first times my dad got me to hear me preach to somebody else. And, and I preached, and I preached, and I came home. He said, he said, son, why didn't you tell them? I said, tell them what, dad? I told them everything I knew to tell them. He said, no, why didn't you tell them? And he didn't know how to exactly say it. He said, I said, what, dad? He said, why didn't you tell them you used to be a drug addict? I said, I forgot. Now listen, friends, your testimony is not just the bad you did. Your testimony is testifying, testifying of what the good he's doing in your life. Amen? So Jesus, the first thing we see here, it says that they cast their net, yes, but the first thing we see is that Jesus is walking by. When you're walking, you're in no hurry. Jesus is not in a hurry to do what he needs to do in your life. Jesus is walking. He's really contemplating. He's considering what he wants to do in your life. He saw two brothers. Discipleship has brotherhood. Discipleship consists of when Jesus is developing discipleship, he starts with brothers. Not just with two, but with two twos. Okay, He's putting them together. We'll see there's another group of brothers that he calls out. So this is one thing that, that is in my heart most for J3A is that they can build lifelong, common-threaded, common theology, common commitment, common understanding relationships throughout their life. It said they were casting the net. Obviously, Jesus is looking for doers. This is his first shelf. This is his first call. Jesus is saying, hey, you know, there's a lot of fishermen out there. They would stack their boats in the end of a day, and then they'd get ready to go and do. He sees people who are already in the water, and he sees people who are casting a net. He's looking for somebody who is a doer. He says to them, he says, follow me, somebody who's not afraid of divine interruption. He says, follow me. There's a call and an invitation into discipleship. 
You may not have heard it as specifically as he did, but maybe you were cutting grass or maybe you were uh, attending this or doing that and, and something, you went to youth camp or somewhere, something just started to stir inside of you saying, I feel like I need to get closer to Jesus. I feel like I need to get further away from something so I can get closer to someone, whatever it may be. That calling can come from the inside. It can come from the outside. Maybe you heard a message. Maybe you read a scripture and there's a calling. That was your invitation into discipleship. I believe that many are called. Notice this. The Bible says few are chosen. The reality is many are called, but few have chosen to respond to that call. That's what it translates out basically down to, the choices that we make. Notice it didn't say Jesus walked by somebody's house at 11 o'clock in the morning. And notice that they couldn't roll over and turn off their alarm that's been going off since 8 o'clock in the morning. People who make choices. We're talking about discipleship. He said, follow me. When he says, follow me, there's an emphasis here. There's not just an invitation, uh, but there's a directive. He said, I will show you the way. He said, follow me. He didn't say, just go over there doing that and go do that. I've seen a lot of people go into ministry with no training, no equipping, and they just go to do this and go to do that, and they fail miserably at almost everything that they do because they hadn't been trained, hadn't been equipped. Discipleship will equip you, will train you. It'll show you the way. It requires submission, requires trust to be discipled. He says, follow me because only I know the way. And when he says, follow me, it, it expands to the point of saying, you don't know how to get there. I must show you how to get there. Matter of fact, him saying that I'm, I know the way, implying that he knows the way, is implying that he is the way. I'm not just going to teach you about ministry. I'm going to teach you ministry. He says to follow me also is the connection of train. You know, every train car follows the engine, Right? It follows the one that is leading there. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to train you in the midst of this also. Notice here, he'll use something that you already are and make out of you something he intends you to be. He said, I will make you fishers of men. Sometimes you have to listen closely to Jesus. You have to listen closely to your instructor. You have to listen closely to catch that little phrase to understand what it really means. Because if you're just living, ha- listening haphazard, and you hear him say, I'll make you fish, I'm already a fisher. I'm already a fisherman. And he said, I'll make you a fisher of men. Discipleship will give you the, 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 the tiny, minuscule, little, important emphasis that you need to have in links and connections you need to have in your life. Amen? It'll work in the details. How many of y'all have ever heard? It said, the devil is in the details. Baloney. Jesus is in the details. If you let him in there, he can be in there. It's who you choose to put in there. Discipleship gives you the details. If you have the details, you won't have to be the tail. You can be the head. He said they drop their nets immediately. They drop their nets. To be discipled, you can expect you'll have to drop something. And you have to drop it a little bit quicker in a shorter period of time than you realize. Verse 21, 
Going on from there, discipleship moves on. It doesn't just stop with you. It's something that there's others. It's not only about you. And he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. He called an older brother and a younger brother. He called them. He, he made, a, a made an invitation to them as well. And immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. Notice here, one group makes no mention of the father, another group makes mention of the father. There may be people who show up who don't have a father. There are people who show up in this who have a father. Nevertheless, all of us to a degree are fatherless if we don't meet him the way Jesus wants us to know him. Amen? I had a great dad, had a wonderful father, but there was things that others in my life taught me that he wasn't able to teach me. I've seen it. You've seen it for ages. I see it when people go out and they, their son's pitching a good ball game, their daughter's dancing the best dance or whatever maybe they're doing, and then they look over that prideful, just joyful, they mean well, and they said, I taught them everything they know. Have you ever seen that before or heard that before? I tried to turn it around and change it a little bit. I've taught Spencer everything I know, but not everything he knows. No, you need to get this. I taught him everything I know. There's no pride in this but every, not everything he knows. He's going to learn from others. You have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. It gets a little bit narrower there, but there's something about the relationship with the father that Jesus knows that you and I can never experience, have someone experience to know for themselves. They have to encounter it through Jesus. There is only one way to the father, and that is through Jesus. So discipleship will lurk alongside with what has already been existing, what has already been developing. Discipleship, listen, is not about the person, it's about the Christ. It's about the Christ, amen? They left their nets, their boat, and their father. Let me say this to you, especially to those who are joining and coming in and parents understanding where they are and friends and family. The degree of your separation will determine the measure of your preparation, for what you will be willing to invest, it is your investment that determines your return. I tell them every single year, discipleship is not as much about what you're going to be getting out of it, it's about what you're going to be putting into it. At the degree, the measure, the commitment level that you bring about, that determines what you're going to get. What you sow, you're going to reap. The investment you make into it is going to determine the return. But the separation, the separation, you see, friends, when they plow a field, they're separating the field. They're breaking it apart. They're loosening it up. And part of the plow is the coming away, is the stepping away, is the separation away. No matter how far the distance or how short the distance, the emotional tear and wreck is preparing the ground so God can sow seed in there that otherwise would never find a crevice, would never find a crack because of the spirit of a familiarity. Are you getting this? This is where Jesus said, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Discipleship is about what you put into it. And notice here, one group is casting their net. Now he calls a group who is mending their nets. Jesus is not just seeking doers and who will be willing to do, but Jesus is looking for menders also. People that can mend broken hearts who can mend dreams, who can mend churches. He's looking for young men and women, for fallen churches that their pastors have given up, thrown the towel in, discouraged, disappointed, whatever it may be, but for some young ones to rise up and to step into, 
to step into and to mend the church and heal the church. Immediately, both of them, immediately. We talked last week about obedience. Obedience is the, is the activation of your blessing. Deuteronomy 28, that if you obey, he'll send blessings and he'll overtake you. The reality of obedience here is responsiveness. Discipleship requires responsiveness. Responsiveness establishes responsibility. Those who respond and respond correctly are going to be given the ability to be responsible with greater levels of authority. Discipleship prepares one for authority, to run their own business, to lead their own school, to pastor their own church, to lead their own family. They will gain things in discipleship that would not have been able to be achieved or accomplished anywhere or any other time in their life. Number two. What should you expect from discipleship? Now, that's what requires coming into discipleship. What should you expect from discipleship? And Jesus went about, in verse 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, that would be churches to you and I, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. The first thing it points out is that Jesus went out to all Galilee. You can expect movement. Jesus was walking along. Now he's walking longer than where he was walking along. He's going. He's not just on the beach shore anymore. He's not just at the campfire meeting. He's getting out into the culture of the community. He's not living on the outer banks. He's going into the inner heart of the city. So there's movement. There's travel. There's cultural interaction. And then it says he started teaching. You can expect and should expect being taught in discipleship. Not only teaching, teaching is an individual, it's a narrow uh, perspective to be able to gain understanding and ability and talent. And then we find out there's preaching also. So there's inner work in who you are and who the disciples are, but then there's also outreach. There's outreach. You take the P off of preach, what do you have? Reach, right? It's reaching. Just like last night, praise be to God. Glory to be to God. The last two nights, a large group of people, last night up to 20 people, were out in the fair that is here in Scottsboro and sharing the gospel. Not only that, they're sharing the gospel and inviting people to the tent meeting we're having in October. For Remember, you can't come if you don't bring somebody. It's about the harvest, about winning souls. They're out there going at it, and they're giving out. And lo and behold, they got a 15-minute window unscheduled, on the stage, with a guitar and worship, and somebody preached. God will make a way. Amen. Uh, Danny with Love Thy Neighbor called me up or texted me earlier this week and said, hey, what do you think about Love Thy Carney? I think she said she took 48 baskets or bags and went to the Carney people. That's a family. They're in our community. I wonder if it's ever happened to them before. And gave them each a bag and got to pray with the owner of the fair. Friends, that's called outreach. It's called spreading the gospel. It takes discipline to do that kind of stuff. You can expect teaching and preaching about the gospel kingdom. You can expect a kingdom mindset, not just a church mindset. You can also expect in discipleship demonstration of the power of God. People getting healed. People being restored. People's lives being put back together. 
You can just simply expect doing the kingdom stuff. Verse 24. Then his fame, Jesus, and his fame went throughout all of Syria. And they brought him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. You know, I've come to find out. Most of the people that I know that are seemingly effective or successful, however you want to look at it, in ministry, they serve somebody else's ministry. Most of them that are pastoring churches worked with somebody who had a healing ministry or a deliverance ministry or, a, or a, a, a worship ministry and something really intensified and they carry that over. God prepared them to be able to put that into the church to help equip other saints to walk in it. It's just a contagious, infectious way that it works. You can expect. You can expect in discipleship. Because when you come into somebody else's life, you can expect elevation. You can expect a, a fame. When I say fame, I'm talking about success. I'm not talking about famous like we're talking about. I'm talking about that they are able to do more. Notice Jesus healed some. Now he's healing all now that he has disciples. He has combined faith and he has people who will serve with him in that ministry. You can also expect coming to a place of spiritual authority. Jesus is carrying his disciples into these situations and teaching them to have authority over unclean spirits. You can expect coming out with a level of spiritual authority. You do not want it to be said of you, Jesus I knew, Paul I knew, who are you? Who on earth are you? In discipleship, you start to find out who you are because you find out who he is and you know what he can do. You're confident with being who you are. Verse 25 is interesting. Great multitudes followed him. He's calling them out two by two. He goes and gets one and gets another one. But now great multitudes are following him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. That's, that's almost 10 times bigger than you realize because Decapolis is 10 little communities connected together. There's a lot of community people following Multitudes following him for what he did, but disciples start to follow him for what they're going to be able to do. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. Uh, multitudes followed him because of what he was doing. The disciples followed him because of what he said to them. It's a big difference. Disciples don't just look for signs, wonders, and miracles. They do what needs to be done to get it done. Number three, what to look for in a discipler. What to look for in somebody who's going to be discipling. In John chapter 1, verse 35 I condensed the story just a little bit. John the Baptist is discipling some people, and it says this about him in verse 35. Again, the next day, John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples. So before he even had a relationship with Jesus or the understanding of Jesus' ministry, turning over and taking on the call and the role that he has, John has disciples. Notice one of the first things Jesus picks up in his ministry is disciples. It's one of the first things he does is he finds people to disciple and people to equip and train. Again, the next day, notice it says next day. That means that it's day after day after day after day after day. And discipleship is not a once a week meeting. It's a daily living. It's that we live this way on a daily basis. That's why we establish a live-learn atmosphere. Are you with me? It's not just a Bible study. It's learning how to live this way. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, he walked, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Again, behold the Lamb of God, 
Why didn't he say again, he said, behold the Lamb of God? Because previously, the day before, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're around a discipler who is not dealing with sin, get away from that discipler as quick as you can. Sin separates man from God. Discipleship unites people with God. It unifies people with God. Listen to me. We must have a gospel preached that deals with sin for what it is, sin. Amen? It's the disciple's responsibility to deal with sin, but it's the responsibility of the discipler to speak and teach on it. The next day, daily commitment, John had disciples, Jesus picks up disciples, a good discipler leads you to behold Jesus. Listen to me, a good discipler, John the Baptist was a good discipler. You might say, that guy lost his head. This is before then. He literally said, look at Jesus. The word behold means to look and gaze intently upon, to not take your eyes off of. He said, make sure that all the sin in your life is taken away because this is a guy that's here to cleanse you and heal you. And then the next day he says, behold the Lamb of God. That's all he said. What you behold is what you become. I said, what you behold is what you become. What you keep your eyes on, what you keep your affections on, what you keep your desires on, what you keep your lust on, you will become that. It will eventually Become and take over your soul because your eyes are the window of your soul. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak. Notice first he says, look. Now he's saying that they heard him speak. A discipler, a discipler should be training you to see and to hear, to position yourself to hear God's voice. And then once you've heard God's voice, you are prepared to do whatever, forsake anything, yet all things to follow him. Jesus, according to Scripture, only did what he heard his father saying or he saw his father doing. Did you hear me? So that is so important that we teach and train the ability to see and to hear, to be spiritually minded, to see with spiritual eyes. Before our prayer time in the office this morning, Pastor Matt shared, he said, the scripture I'm getting is, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, nor is even in the heart of man what God has prepared. Part of discipleship will get you to be able to see and to hear what God has prepared for you. That may come in agreement with what's already been prophesied over your life, what's already been trained in your life, but it helps you hear it for yourself that this is what God has for you. Every one of my children that I know of have somewhere, somehow been in a ministry event, and somebody has come up to each one of them and say, you have a different ministry than your father. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. And they're all going like, I'm so happy, so, so happy. Someone's just got overtaken with joy. The reality is every one of us have a different ministry. Sometimes you have to be told that because the fear or the challenge or the pressure of thinking that you have to be like that person. Friends, this is for you to hear and to see him for yourself. Amen? Amen. They heard him, and Jesus turned, and they heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. A good discipleship, you'll hear it even to the point that you can leave. Good parenting has prepared students to leave and to go and do what God has called them to do. Good pastoring in other churches says, yes, I feel like this is God's will for your life. And they relinquish that in there because it's what God's going to do in that student's life. Notice this. 
Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? He turns and he sees them and they heard him speak. They, uh, Jesus turns. Discipleship turns the heart of Jesus. Discipleship grabs the attention of Jesus. I told our school of ministry the other day, I think it was a Thursday night or a Friday night or a Wednesday night. It was one night last week. We were all together and I said, look, I said, this is a special moment. You have separated yourself. Only you are here. Probably only you within a hundred miles around you, give or take, are the only small group of young men and women who have committed their life to such sacrifices you have. His eyes are roaming to and fro, and of this generation, and of these disciples, he will not say, why were you so foolish? He's looking for people he can turn to. He said to them, he said, what are you, what are you seeking? In other words, you and I would say, what are you looking for? Have, have you lost something? Is there something you're looking for? And they said to him, they said to him, this is discipleship, rabbi. Which is to say, when translated, teacher. Uh, so they responded to him. They turned to him. And what they're saying is, I'm seeking to learn. I'm seeking to know. I'm seeking to be taught. I'm seeking to be taught. I'm seeking to be teachable. I'm seeking, I want personally what you have individually. You have something Nobody else has. I don't know about you. Tom, maybe it was this way for you when you were teaching. Danny, I'm sure it's this way for you. Predominantly, when the students come into class and the teacher steps behind the podium or the lectern or, or in front of the screen or on the screen, whatever they're doing, there's only one teacher in the class. Amen? There's only one. We come to see Jesus. We come to see Jesus. They're seeking to be teachable. They're seeking to desire to live what they're taught. He said, come and see. They asked him, said, where are you staying? Uh, we, we don't, we don't, we don't, you know, church morning is, is Sunday morning, is, it's fun, it's good, it's inspiring, it's encouraging, it's impactful, it, it, it's, it's celebratory. But Pastor Greg, can I go home with you? That's what it would sound like. Uh, can, 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 I, can I have breakfast with you tomorrow? Pa Pastor Cody, can, can, I, can I just come work with you? You only have to pay me. I just want to see if you cuss or not when you get mad. Because I do. Not me. I'm the one getting discipled. But, boy, that one was going to run around town, wasn't it? Y'all need to sign up. There'll be a J37 <laughs> sign-up card out there for all y'all. That's what they're saying to them. I don't want to just attend this stuff. I want to live this stuff. There's something about your life that needs to be about my life. There's something that I need. He said, come and see. Something you can expect out of discipleship is deeper, more intimate revelation. 
Oh, it's so wonderful when the, when the children move away, and, and we don't have one going far away. I'll never forget the first time uh, Spencer, our oldest child, moved away. They did. They moved to, uh, to well, he actually was just going into J3 at that time, and, and as a first child leaving the home and leaving the nest, and even though it was just going to be in Scottsboro, and we're over in Woodville, and he's going to be in the school, and I'm going to see him every day, uh, Gretchen's heart was heavy. It was heavy. It was changed. It was an emotional shift, and her mom called. And she said, we have some people in the church that have a dog, a dog, and, and you guys are out on 284 acres, thought maybe you guys and the children might want the dog, unbeknownst to me, because <laughs> I would have said yes. I know she would say no. She said yes. And then she said, what's the dog's name? Spencer. God knew her heart, but there's nothing like your children calling home. And you're like, where did you get that? I'll never forget the first time I preached. Matter of fact, we were there at that place just this past week. And I waited two times after he preached. And I said, son, can you come to my office? Sure, dad, what's up? Um, Where'd you get that message? Did you take it off the internet? Who have you been listening to, son? He's a good teacher. He's a good preacher of the word. I'd say the same thing to Nate or Matt or any of those guys, Joel, any of them. Because none of them preach like me. I'm not saying as good as. (laughs) They carry something I don't carry. They have something I don't have. Because they went and they found out for themselves. And I know what it's like. When that child comes in and says something to you, I'm talking just to the parents now, and you go, and then you go tell your spouse, I've been telling them that for 20 years, and now they're going to come here and act like it's something new. (sighs) Pastor Greg, yeah, you okay? That's, um, um, thank you. (laughs) Been there, done that, doing it again. Amen? Then it's really bad when you disciple them. Then they get up and preach something you know you preached to them. And they don't remember it was you that preached it. And start acting like it's their own. And then they fall back on that, well, one man's pigs, another man's sausage, Pastor. Let's wrap this thing up. Come join me, Pastor Joel, please. Greater vision. Come see. Deeper revelation. The results of discipleship. One of the two who had heard John speak followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. You know, a few people look back on this story right here and go, it was you. It was you that brought Peter into this group? (laughs) You have got to be kidding me. Do you realize... Because while they're disciples, before he became the apostle, Peter is an open mouth, insert foot. Some of y'all are going to have roommates like that. You're going to be like, remember, it takes them for you to learn with some, live with somebody else. 
He said, he said, first found his own brother Simon. He said, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. We don't talk a whole lot about Andrew, but Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus. Discipleship will start winning other people to Jesus. Discipleship will start resulting in other people coming to know Jesus. Other people that might even have much more uh, uh, powerful or, or seemingly successful ministry. How much more successful would somebody have to be but to bring Peter to Christ? He went and he found him brought him to Jesus. Finding others and sharing what you have found as part of discipleship, the results of it. Discovering the source of the anointing and prophetic fulfillment. In discipleship, he realized, oh my goodness, he's not just another uh, travel by, not just another influencer, he's not just somebody to follow, he's not just somebody that's got a talent. No, the, oh, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. The Messiah is the promise of all things fulfilled. Prophetic fulfillment is in your hands when you start being discipled. You get close to the anointing. What does the anointing do? It breaks your yokes, and then it starts to anoint you to break other people's yokes, to set captives free. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas, which is translated stone. That was so precious this morning. Alan, I don't know where you're sitting right now. Little Stone. Brother, you joined the tribe of Jesus. Little Stone. And Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon. You'll get personal affirmation. It'll align you with being identified and known by God. Listen to me, friends. I saw a t shirt. I love this thing. I saw one just yesterday. And if you wonder why I'm limping or not going up and down the steps much, we went whitewater rafting yesterday with all them youngins that were up here. But that isn't what did it. It was the dodgeball the day before that did it. (laughs) But you need to understand the t-shirt I saw, and I see the limitation of the church. It says to know God and to make him known. That's only two parts of a three-part journey. We need to be known by God, too. We need to be known by God. Absolutely in closing. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. I'll say this so gently. One cannot make but only that which that one is made of. If we're not disciples, how can we fulfill the Great Commission? How can Jordan and Madison go to New Orleans as they have and live down there and go on the streets and expect to make disciples if they haven't been made a disciple? You cannot make what you don't have. If you don't have oil, you can't oil it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Am I always meant to be a disciple? That's a good question. I think you're always meant to be what you're discipled in. I don't know if you're always meant to be a disciple. I'm always meant to be fathered, and I'm always meant to be a fathering. But I don't become their husband. 
I don't become their everything. You follow what I'm saying? You see, discipleship sets you up for what you're going to become. Matter of fact, it says in John chapter 8, verse 31, if you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, once you're discipled, you build the disciplines, then it becomes your life. My children have asked me through the ages. That's how old they're getting. Dad, what would you say is the one thing? Gretchen and I get asked this all the time. I would have to say this. I learned to get in the Word until the Word got in me. I have a personal relationship with God every single morning of my life. Every morning. Where did I learn that? Through discipleship. Through a 12-month program that took me 16 months. And I built that spiritual discipline in my life. That's what discipleship's about. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you, notice here, here's your invitation as you stand to your feet. You may not have the privilege, the opportunity. You may not have the time, the finances, whatever it may not be. I'm not asking you to make excuses right now. I'm here to make an invitation. Not even as much of an invitation to the altar, but an invitation to the heart. You may not be able to go back and do a J3A. We had a 62-year-old woman do it once. We've had married couples, and we have married with children. But it may not fit your scenario. I get that. So you say, so what do I do? How do I go about it? I'm going to speak the words of Jesus to you. I'm going to let the logos become rhema to you. I'm going to speak what Jesus would say to you right now. He was not talking to his 12 disciples at this time. He's talking to Jewish believers. I'm not talking to J38 or SOM right now. I'm talking to you where you are. He said this. He said, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, remember they said, where are you living? Where do you abide? How do you live? If you will take your Sunday morning and make it Monday morning and make it Tuesday morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you get so much in you can't remember which Sunday morning it was where it happened. You start making some of your nights like a Wednesday night. You start making every day a daily, every day I get my daily bread. You start to get the word of God in your life every day. And listen, not just from somebody, but you're finding it for yourself. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? He said, if you will abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You can be discipled by Jesus through this word right here. Through the preached word, through the taught word, through the preached word, through sharing the word, you can start discipling somebody. This is a lifestyle. It's not a visitation. It's a habitation. Amen? He said, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Discipline are spiritual measures we put into our life. 
to unite with Christ, you can expect out of discipleship freedom. You can expect out of discipleship knowing truth. You can expect out of discipleship that the Word of God will speak to you. So I'm going to ask this this morning. If you're saying, I want to go further, if there's a desire inside of you to be discipled, you don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but you have a good place to start now of committing yourself to the Word of God, continuing in the Word of God, abiding in the Word of God, not just be this way at church and that way at work, but saying, I'm going to live 